Thank you, Jesus. Choose your flag. Thanks for standing for the reading of the word. We're going to Galatians 2. Galatians 2. And this is probably a familiar verse to you if you've been around the body of Christ for any length of time. It's not an easy verse. It's a difficult one. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If he gave himself for me, why can't I give myself for him? That's what this verse is saying. I'm crucified with Christ. He loved me enough to give himself for me. I love him enough to give myself for him. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you touch this word, Lord? I know that you have already anointed it. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that you would open our ears to hear and our understanding to receive the revelation of what you want to say to us today, God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. A flag. Flags are symbolic in nature. In and of themselves, they serve no purpose, right? Well, I suppose I could probably whack something with this. Scratch my head? I don't know. But this is nothing special. I literally made these flags last night. I won't tell you at what time. But this flag really doesn't mean anything to me. And it really doesn't mean anything to you. It's just fabric on a stick. That's it. But flags are used symbolically, aren't they? Right? Symbolism comes along with flags usually. Ideas, ideologies are attached. Allegiances are attached to the flag. And the flag is the thing we can see of that ideology, right? I don't have an American flag with me, but let's think about that because we're all familiar with that flag, right? What does it look like? Red, white, and blue? Stars and stripes, we call it that, right? Star-spangled banner. Um, And that particular flag, we know, has meaning. If you're an American, it has meaning, or I hope it has meaning for you. Um, it's always had meaning for me. And those, the, the way that that flag looks is symbolic. There's specific things, ideas attached to that flag. Did you know what the red stands for? The red symbolizes strength and valor. The white symbolizes purity and innocence. And the blue symbolizes vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Those are all things we want in our lives, right? And so did the founding fathers. They wanted that for our country. So they chose with careful consideration 
And of course, we know that the flag changed the way it looked a little bit over the years. Originally, it had uh, only 13. Yes. It now has 50 stars on it, right? To symbolize for one star for each of the 50 states to make the United States. And the 13 stripes are to remind us that there was originally 13 colonies when they started. So that's a flag that has meant a lot to a lot of people for a very long time. And all flags can do that. They can mean a lot. They can mean a lot to the people who pledge their allegiance to the flag. You're not pledging to the flag itself, right? You're pledging to the ideology that that flag represents. You're pledging to maybe the country that uh, it represents. Um, It represents maybe a family or a clan or a tribe, a country, of course, we already said. It's a morale booster. It makes it... um, Something that a group of people can rally around, right? It's a unifier. We can rally around a unifying cause. When we say, oh, we'll rally around the American flag because of liberty, right? We can all get on board with that train. We all want liberty. We want freedom, right? So it's, it's a rallying thing. The flag also can be used to identify a position in battle, that's how they use it. Um, military has lose, used flags in various ways for a very long time. Uh, But also flags can be a symbol of your identity. If I fly an American flag on my home, at my home, it's probably because I'm American, right? If I wasn't an American, if I had no interest in America, if I didn't live in America, what would be the point of me flying that flag, right? It's an identifier. You see, um, there are all kinds of flags in the world, aren't there? Lots of flags. We see them everywhere. And we can't ignore the significance of what some flags represent. You know, we live in a sinful world. I'm not telling you anything new there. And daily, I am tempted to sin. I don't know about you. Maybe you're beyond that. But I am tempted to fall into sin because I am a sinner saved by grace. And I do struggle And I know all of you can say the same. We're sinners. We struggle with sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We fail God on a regular basis. How sad. The boundaries between sin and syndrome have gotten more and more blurred as society has gone down the path of darkness. Moral failure has become pathologized. In other words, it's characterized as a disease now. And once pathologized, it becomes who we are or something that happened to us. So no longer am I struggling with sin. Now I can say, oh, that's just the way I am. Right? Hmm. That's what's happening. So we carry the flag of our assumed identity. So... We carry the flag of perhaps pride. This is the Nebuchadnezzar identity, right? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He walked out on his balcony and said, look at all I have done. Look at how amazing I am. Did he build the city of Babylon himself? (laughs) No, he probably didn't build any of it. He might not have even made any of the plans. He just happened to be the one that was in charge over all of it. 
And that's how we get around uh, with our pride. Sometimes we just happen to be the person that it happens to, and we're like, look at what I've done. Look at how amazing I am. When actually it's circumstances that happen in spite of us, or maybe God was at work in your life, and in your pride, in my pride, we say, this is my identity. This is who I am. Another flag that we might find is narcissism in today's day and age. Me, 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 and more me. Me. It's just about me. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3 says, In the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanders, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Wow, that sounds familiar. I am going somewhere. <laughs> we'll get to the hope part soon, I promise. <laughs> but narcissism, it's something that we pick up as a flag and we make it ours. It's just the way I am. I have to take care of me. Who else is going to, right? The colors don't mean anything. It's just for fun. How about my truth? My truth. My truth. As if I own it. Do I own truth? It sounds cool until I get to the end of myself and I realize I am finite. My resources are finite. My knowledge is finite. My abilities are finite. Even my life is finite. I'm going to die. My body will not last. And my truth crumbles like shifting sand, like Brother Reese talked about on Wednesday night. I crumble then. My truth crumbles. Oh, it sounds great when I say I'm going to live my truth. But that is not truth. That is just my own ideology. It's the flag I chose to identify with and wave as if it was something important, more important than it really is. And then there's other flags that we choose to pick up and identify with. Abuse. Trauma, things that have happened to us, sin that has happened to us, sin that was acted out on us. And we pick up the flag and say, I'm damaged goods. I'm unworthy. You know, when we lose or maybe never knew our understanding of our worth in God's eyes, we use artificial sources of worth to fill it in. We have a worth void that must be filled, and we look for things that will fill that void. And this world is full of people who have suffered much, and they're filling it in with an identity that they shouldn't fill it with. It's not the identity that God gave them. God said, I have created you in my image. You are worthy. You are loved. You are loved beyond measure with a love that cannot die. I don't need this flag. 
I don't need to carry around my trauma as an identity of who I am because Jesus says that I am more than a conqueror through him. I am more, I am more, I am more through him. Oh, that flag is giving up the ghost. Here's another flag that we identify with. Failures of every type. Moral failure, spiritual failure, physical failure, relational failure. Have you failed? Boy, have I failed. My personality likes to avoid failure at all costs. And (laughs) so I will work really, really hard to not fail. But failure catches up to me, and failure catches up to you. And sometimes it's because you did it, and sometimes it just happens. But we all fail. There's failures in our life. And when we choose to fly the flag of our failures, we will get stuck in our regrets. We will get stuck in the burden of carrying those regrets around. And God says, lay your burdens at my feet, Leave it at the cross. You don't have to have regret over something that I forgave. You don't have to have regret over something that I've covered with my blood. Because when I look at you, I don't see the things that you regret. I see the blood that I shed on Calvary to cover your sin, to cover your failures. And yet we choose the flag of unforgiveness. We won't even forgive ourselves. We won't forgive each other. Because we say there are failures there. And God says, will you just forgive? Because as much as you're willing to forgive, that's how much I can forgive you. So don't wallow in regret. Forgive and move on. Do you think God can't redeem your past? He's the great redeemer. Do you think he can't be the redeemer of your children? Do you think he can't be the redeemer of your grandchildren? Do you think he can't redeem your marriage? Oh, I know people who have had a redemption in their marriage, and God did it. God did it. He is more than able. He can redeem anything. He is the great redeemer. He will restore the wasted years, Joel 2.25 says. That is a promise that we should cling to. Oh, maybe you haven't seen it yet, but does that mean it's not going to happen? What do you know? What do you know? The God who knows all things and works all things together for good to them who are called according to his purpose. That's the God I serve. That's the God I trust. And I know he will redeem. He will uh, restore the wasted years. Thank you, Jesus. And then we have, I haven't used this one yet, all right? We fly the flag of our personality flaws. I was born this way. It's a refusal of responsibility to our own personality. Your personality is a gift. It's a gift to you, and it's a gift to the world. God fearfully and wonderfully made you. He planned you out from the beginning of time. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made all the things that have happened to you happen to you so that you would be who you are. And yet we focus on the flaws and we say, oh, that's, ugh, I hate myself this way. It's just the way that I am. I can't overcome it. I can't be better. I can't do better. And then we, we 
push that outward and say, well, if you can't handle me, that's your problem. Instead of saying, God, you can make me new. In you, I am a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I can set that flag down and say, hmm, I don't need to wave that flag. You see, we all have this capacity for worship in us or allegiance, right? It's just waiting. It's waiting for us to find a flag to pick up and start waving, right? It's easy for us to latch onto an ideology. Why? Because we're made to latch onto ideas. But the ideas we're made to latch onto are truthful ideas. The truth of God's word. If you want an ideology, if you're not sure what causes stand for, just start reading the word of God. And you will find every ideology that you can trust that will play itself out to the end of time and will not let you down. You want truth? It's in the word of God. It's not out there. It's not, because, it's not where somebody else has said it. It's not even what I'm saying here today necessarily. It's in God's word. And if what I'm saying is not in God's word, you should throw it out. When you would let people speak into your life, you need to take that in and right away hold it up to the standard of God's word and say, does this match the ideology that I'm finding in God's word? And if it doesn't, throw that away there's an old saying that says if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything and that is true would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59 if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything and that's exactly the state of mankind Isaiah 59 And I'm going to jump around in it. We're just going to kind of pull out a couple of phrases out of this chapter, but you're welcome to go back and read it later. But it it starts in verse 2, showing us the state of mankind. I am part of mankind. This is the state of where I am without Jesus Christ. This is the state of where you are without Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Maybe, maybe you feel like he's not hearing your prayer because there's things. Sin separates. Sin gets in the way. Sin is something that makes it so that you can't see clearly. You can't see God. The darkness takes a hold of you because it's in between. If somebody came and brought a curtain across here right now, you would no longer be able to see me. Something got in the way. And that's what sin does. When we allow sin into our life, It gets in the way, and it blocks our vision, and suddenly we can't see. We don't know what truth is. We don't know who we're looking at or where we're going or who we're following. When all along, we're supposed to be following Jesus. We're supposed to be looking to him for our hope. We're supposed to be looking upward, always upward, for his guidance. But your iniquities have separated you and your God. He didn't get lost. You did. Verse 9, we wait for light but behold, obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. Ugh, this is a terrible place to be. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. That's the state that we're in when we're in sin. But here's a fearsome picture of God at work on behalf of us. 
This is our God. He comes in as a conqueror. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance. He wants revenge on sin on your behalf for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So he's got righteousness, he's got salvation, he's got vengeance, and he's got seal, zeal. He is ready to do the job. He wants to do the job. According, verse 18, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. Are you tired of fighting back against Satan? Well, you don't have to (laughs) because he is doing this for you. You need to stand back and let him fight your battle for you. Verse 19, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy, this is the part we like, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The word enemy in that verse means narrow, a tight place, a sharp stone used like a knife against the throat. That's how the enemy comes at us. If somebody came up behind me and put a knife to my throat, what would I do? I would freeze. So I don't know what's going to happen next, right? Danger, danger, I would freeze. Now, I mean, if you knew some cool moves, you might be able to disarm them. I don't know those cool moves. I would freeze <laughs> because I do not know how to disarm. <laughs> but that's, that's how the enemy comes at you, sneaks up behind you and puts a knife at your throat, and you freeze, and you don't know what to do. But the Lord lifts up a what? A standard. Now, we think of that as a flag, and yes, that is correct in a lot, of, a lot of ways. But literally, the word here means to put to flight, to make to flee, to give a reason to run away. So when the Lord lifts up a standard, Satan looks at what he's raising and says, whoa, okay, no, I can't do that. I am too weak for that. That's why I say you you can't fight the devil. You can't. You can't fight him. And why would you want to when God is willing to fight on your behalf? Why do you struggle? Why do you think I'm just fighting Satan all week? Why do you think I'm just struggling against what the enemy is? Why? Why struggle? Why don't you lay it at his feet and let him fight your battles for you because you know he already won the victory. He is the victor. God created the Garden of Eden, which was paradise, as the environment that humans were meant to thrive in. It was an environment of his presence, his provision, and an intimate relationship with him. But we know what happened, right? We're banished from paradise. I don't live in paradise. You guys live in paradise? No. If Adam and Eve hadn't been banished from paradise, they would have eventually eaten of the tree of life and they would have lived forever in their fallen state. So God had to banish them in the state that they were in so that that wouldn't happen. But now, now we live in this hostile environment of a world of sin, right? 
here on earth. And biologically, in order for an organism to survive in a hostile environment, there has to be a microcosm environment within the hostile environment. The microcosm environment has to have all the elements of the environment the organism was made to thrive in. Did I leave you behind yet? In other words, it's an environment within an environment. So here we are in this hostile environment of a sinful world, and we have a sinful nature. Wow, that sounds like failure right there. I might as well pick up that failure flag, right? No, because God has created a microcosm environment, how you were supposed to live, of an environment within the environment, and that environment that he has retained for us through the power of his spirit is an environment of his presence, his provision, and an intimate relationship with him. It's still available. That's paradise. That's paradise. So you think, oh, we are cast out of paradise. He brought paradise to us with the power of the Holy Ghost. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, when God's spirit comes and takes up residence within you, and you know because you speak in another language that you never learned before, that's a supernatural thing that's happening with your tongue. When that happens, you know without a shadow of a doubt, I now have the power of the Holy Ghost resident within me. And I now have been inserted into a microcosm environment within this environment. And I can live in the world and not be of the world because I have his presence, his provision, and I have an intimate relationship with him. He lives inside of me. But we make the mistake of trying to pop our heads outside of that microcosm, don't we? Sometimes we are like, oh, I don't like how this feels. I don't want to be in this little bubble. And so we try to shed it like a skin. We try to take it off like a cloak and try to fit in. We were not designed to fit in. We were not. You can't glorify anything if you're fitting in. Because glorifying is magnifying, showing It's a show. It's a show of his glory. And he put his spirit inside of us so that he could show to the world the power of his spirit working through this person, that person, that person, that person, and this whole collection of the kingdom of of God right here on earth. And people who don't know see it and they say, "What? what is this? What is this? So how, how do I get into this microcosm environment so I can survive the hostile world of sin? I have to surrender. It is not my will, but it's yours. I have to choose to obey his voice. I need that power and authority that is greater than me. So I have to make the choice that gives that power and authority to me. Because he will not force it on me. He will not make me live that way. He will not make me glorify his name but I want him to glorify his name through me. So I have to choose a new flag. I have to choose a new flag, a flag of surrender. I have to say, I am willing to take on your ideology, God. I am willing to take on whatever it is that will bring glory to your name. I am willing to raise it high so that you can show the world your goodness and your mercy through me, through me. Paul presented it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 23. Operate. 
He said, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Now, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Hmm, I wonder which one would be better. Thank God, Paul says, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. What? I'm still a slave? What? Paul says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you'll become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And some people think that's the best freedom of all. But what was the result, Paul says? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which one are you going to choose? Death or life, death or life. The fact of the matter is, is that just making the choice won't always complete the circle. We have to be delivered. We need deliverance. Deliverance is a rescue, right? A rescue from bondage or from danger. The person in danger desperately wants or needs to be delivered. If you throw me into a pool of water, you will need to deliver me. I cannot swim. I can sink very, very well. Like a rock. Bloop. Straight to the bottom. You do not have to tie the millstone around my neck, like the Bible says. Just throw me in. Bye-bye. I would need a deliver. Anything above five feet, that's too much for me. A person needs to be rescued from certain things in their life, and that's one of the things Jesus will be to you. He has said that he will be your deliverer. We cannot deliver ourselves. Do you want to be delivered? You have to want to. Because if I'm in the ocean drowning and you come and try to drag me out and I fight you off, guess what? I will still drown. And you might too. I have to want to be delivered. I have to be okay with you delivering me, right, out of that ocean. And I have to be okay with God delivering me from my sin and from the turmoil and trauma of my life. Psalm 50:15 says, "Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me." See, part of the glory that he gets is the deliverance he gave you. Psalm 9, 9 through 10 says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And they, shall, they that know my name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Do you seek the Lord? Because he promised he won't forsake you if you seek him. 
What do you need deliverance from? The bondage of sin? Mental anguish? Rescue from trials and tribulations? We all have them. Escape from addictions? What do you need? What deliverance do you need? God can deliver you. Say, God can deliver me. He can deliver me. How many of us can give witness to the delivering power of God? Have you been delivered? Why don't you raise your hands for a moment and thank God that he has delivered you. Lord, I thank you that you have delivered me from the power of sin in my life. I thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered me in so many ways from so many things, God. I choose to give you glory for it. Thank you, Lord. Let's just be honest about it, though. Do we want deliverance just to escape the negative parts of it? Do I just want deliverance from sin because I don't like the consequences? That seems like a very human thing. Did you know that deliverance is for a purpose? It's not just for the purpose of your freedom. It is for the purpose of being free to serve God. You're delivered for something else. Not just to remove you from the ocean, but to put you on dry land. You are free then. When God has delivered you, you are now free to choose a new master. Because you know what? We will serve someone. We are wired to serve someone. We are wired to worship. We are wired to have a lifestyle of worship onto something or someone. We will. Don't, I don't, you can think you won't. Maybe that's my truth, that you're, flag, you're flying as a flag. But it, you do worship something. So when God delivers you, he delivers you with the purpose of you being able to have free will of choosing him, choosing to serve him. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're looking for deliverance. But God is looking for surrender. He's not looking to deliver us, but he will. He's looking for relationship. He's looking for surrender. And if we insist on holding all the other flags, we can't hold this flag. We have to put those flags down to pick this one up. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says something difficult. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul. What is your soul worth? What are you willing to exchange it for? Momentary pleasure? The fun of fitting in? The fun of looking like everyone else? The fun of hanging out with people who are also struggling? Naturally, we have a fear of surrender. Do you fear surrendering? What is, we think, well, what, what does it mean for me and my future? What, I, can't, I can't lay down my life because I don't know what it would look like then. What, what kind of life would I have? We want to know. 
And surrender requires trust. Can I trust God enough to surrender to him? I'll tell you, yes, you can. He is trustworthy. I'll tell you what surrender is not. Surrender is not inaction. You actually have to let it go. You actually have to. You can't just say that you're surrendering. You have to do. You have to act. You have to be surrendered. It's like the, there was a monkey who uh, found a coconut, had a hole in the top. He picked it up, shook it, and it rattled. Oh, he was intrigued. What's that rattle? What's inside this coconut? And he stuck his paw in there, and there was something in there, like a little bean or something. So he grabbed a hold of it and grabbed it with his fist, tried to pull it out. He couldn't pull it out. Couldn't pull it out because his fist was too big for the hole. And he struggled and he struggled and he struggled. And when he finally chose to let go, that's when he could get his paw back. And we think that we're holding on to our life. <laughs> but God's word says that when, when we finally let go of our life, that's when we have it. That's when we find it. So you have to actually let go. Another thing, surrender, is it's a doorway to the next place. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and they have to. Behold, all things are become new. So until you lay down the old person that you were, you can't be the new person that God wants you to be. Another fact, you cannot surrender only the best parts of you. That's what Cain thought he was doing. He thought he was sacrificing a good sacrifice. He brought his best. His best was not enough. My best is not enough. What I think are the best parts of me may not be the best parts of me. What I think are the worst parts of me may be exactly what God wants to use. So surrender is not laying down the best parts of me. Jesus, here's my wonderful talents and accomplishments for you. Also, surrender is not only giving up the worst parts of me. Jesus, take my depression, but I'll keep my praise. Jesus, take my broken relationships, but I'll keep my grudges. You can't just surrender the worst parts of you and keep the things you don't want to let go. Surrender requires all. And the three musicians will come. Surrender requires all. I have to die myself. I have to lay down my life. Not physically. I'm not dying physically to do this. I'm dying spiritually. And if I don't, I'm dying spiritually anyways. Only I haven't surrendered it to Jesus who can redeem my past and who can dictate my future and who is all trustworthy, like he said. I must die to self. Die, dead, gone, not alive. Jesus really is trustworthy. Oh, don't take my word for it. 
read the word of God and find out how trustworthy he is. There's so many stories in there that'll tell you. There's so many promises that you'll see come true. There's so many things that will refresh you and renew you and speak to your heart if you'll only crack open the word and see all that he can be, all that he is in your life, even when you're not even looking at him. He is all of those things because God is. He said, I am that I am. He is everything you need. There is nothing lacking. No, nothing, nothing is lacking in Jesus Christ. The word tells us what the future looks like for those who answer the call to surrender. Second Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Choosing Jesus as my Lord means I'm surrendering to that trustworthy one, the one who understands me better than anybody else because he created me, the one who loves me and redeems me, the one who patiently teaches me, oh, so patiently, the one who helps me through the power of his spirit, he comforts me when I'm exhausted or when I'm sad. He brings peace when there seems to be none. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And ultimately, I will have eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you stand with me? Jesus Christ, my Lord. Don't call him your Lord if he's not. Don't call him your Lord if he's not. There's a song that has some lovely words that's been bouncing around in my heart lately, and it simply says, here is where I lay it down. Every burden every crown. This is my surrender. I will make room for you. I'll do whatever you want. I'll have let you do whatever you want to. Shake up the ground of my tradition. Break down the walls of my religion. Your way is better. Would you respond to his call? He wants surrender. There's no time like the present. You know what? This altar is open. Why don't you come and surrender to him the things that you have been holding on to, the things that you're gripping. You can't take your hand out of the coconut because you won't let go. But there's so much more than just a coconut. God has so much for you. Would you come to this altar? Would you lay down whatever it is that you haven't laid down yet? Would you say, God, here is my surrender. I take, I lay down my ideologies. I lay down my ideas of what is best for me. And I take up the flag of surrender, Lord. I wave it to you, God. I trust you with my surrender. I respond to your call. I know that you can be fully trusted, Jesus. I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth, Lord. I need to choose my flag today, and I choose the flag of surrender. Would you choose your flag? There's always a point in time where you come to a spot that you have to choose. You have to choose. Today is the day of salvation. Would you choose him? 
He is worthy. There is nothing he will not do for you. He loves you, will lay down his life for you. Would you lay down your life for him? Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, God. Help us, God. We give ourselves to you, Jesus. We surrender to you, God. Withholding nothing, Jesus. Withholding nothing. You can have it all, God. I surrender. Be my Lord, Jesus. Be my Lord. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. I Oh, oh. 